my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Howdy, hey, and hello there. Welcome to the Weird Finance Podcast, a show to help us all feel a little less weird about money, one conversation at a time. I'm your host, Paco DeLeon, and on this week's episode, I'm chatting with Sonia Rasula. In 2008, Sonia Rasula self-funded Unique Markets by risking her entire 401k and never looking back. Since then, she's become part of the 2% of women-owned businesses in the U.S. to hit a million a year. She's proud to be the only AAPI-owned national market owner in the country and has been credited for fueling and leading the Shop Small Revolution for over 13 years. Sonia was just named the Millionaire Maker by Forbes and named one of 30 women entrepreneurs changing the world by fashion mogul Eileen Fisher. Please enjoy my conversation with Sonia. Sonia, it sounds like you're very, very busy, and I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to join us today. Well, thank you for having me, Paco. I'm very excited for this conversation. Well, I've known you since 2015 when I was first starting out, right? So I'm coming out of the world of finance, and in the world of finance, it's normal to talk about money. And then I meet you, and you're not in the world of finance, and you're one of the first people outside of that world who just feels normal talking about money. I remember you would casually like ask people about their rent and you would just talk about making money in a super casual way. And that was shocking to me. Now I'm used to it. But I want to know, were you always this person? Did you always walk into your friend's apartment at like age 20 and say like, hey, how much rent do you pay? Were you always comfortable talking about money? (laughs) No, uh, definitely not. I'm laughing so hard because it's like, I don't, consciously remember asking people questions like that, but I know that I do. (laughs) Um, But okay. So the one thing that I am is curious and I feel like that runs throughout my life. I'm curious about money. I'm curious about 
creativity. I'm curious about how people do what they do or why. So it seems natural to me now to like also not have any small conversations and just like, if I'm curious about something, I'll ask. I love it. What about like in your household growing up? Did you guys have dinner and talk about money? Was money something that was avoided or was it neutral? We never talked about money. My parents know nothing about money. (laughs) I come from a family. Well, my dad didn't work until I was basically probably in my preteen years. He stayed at home with, with me and my sister. My mom was the breadwinner. So I have a view of like, let's say traditional so-called roles that's very different from a lot of other people. But money was never talked about. We didn't have a lot of money. I grew up in Echo Park, which is a neighborhood in Los Angeles. And obviously having one parent working and one not meant we didn't have a lot of money. Both of my parents are academics. And both of them would go on to work in like the university school systems throughout Canada and the U.S. And so they have very traditional jobs where they are paid. They have a pension. They don't discuss anything because they're somewhat taken care of. Money was never discussed in our household at all. (laughs) I think you're bringing up a really interesting perspective and an interesting point, because what I've noticed as a millennial is that the generation after me, Gen Z, is even more comfortable talking about money, right? They're on TikTok. They're creating things like the woman who created salary transparency, where you just walk up to a stranger and you're like, what do you do for a living? How much money do you make? And what I think you're hitting on is this idea that maybe the generation before us, you know, in the 90s and the 80s, when things were booming and we were riding this nice wave of GDP going up, uh, money was avoided because we all kind of felt like, okay, we're taken care of, housing prices are going to rise, we're going to be rich and everything's going to be fine. But that seems to be unraveling and now we're, we, we're forced to talk about money. What do, you th- do you agree with that? Do you feel like the, the tide is changing a bit? Yeah, totally. And I think also it, it has to do with like conservatism like and how people are raised like so you know my parents generate my parents parents generation didn't talk about anything including money but they you know so i think my parents generation were like a result of that it's the largest generation right the boomers and like they did okay so i guess to them passing down knowledge about you know like budgeting or like what to do when you're done college and you have your first apartment like None of we never had a conversation around anything like that. So it was like you're just like spit out into the world and you have to figure it out. I am Generation X, I think officially. I'm not I'm like a year away from being a millennial, but I like to say that I'm I'm Gen X who thinks that I'm Gen Z. Like I seriously do relate to Gen Zers way more than I relate to anyone else, which is very strange. Um But yeah, I don't know. They didn't talk about money. I went to journalism school and was assigned a paper on finance. And to be perfectly honest, I was like in tears. You know, I was like, I want to do the fashion stories. And I think my professor knew, like, give, he was trying to challenge me. And I wrote a story about compounding money. So like if you deposit $100 into your bank account for savings every month, it's far better to deposit $25 every week. And honestly, I think it was that one article that changed my view on money, taught me that like, oh wait, should I be saving at some point? Like it was actually doing that task that really forced me to think about money. I'd never thought about money before. So it's a bit of luck, I suppose. I guess so. But I guess you then had to take that information and decide to apply it to your life. Yes. I'm curious. It sounds like the information was enough for you to shift your behavior. But were there any like money narratives or stories that you feel like you've had to overcome over the years to go from working for someone else to working for yourself to going from making six figures and then 
breaking through and making seven figures, there's got to be a lot of different things you have to work through to get to those levels. Would you mind sharing some of them? Yeah. And I, I feel like to most people listening, what I'm going to say will sound crazy. <laughs> uh, and probably you, Paco, you're going to be like, oh, Sonia, what is she doing? Uh, <laughs> for some reason, the more let's do air quotes, successful I get. And so we'll say the more money that I make, the more relaxed I am about money. And like the more just open to it I am. When I did not have money, I worried about it all the time, right? I, I like when I was in my 20s or when I was starting the business and I needed to take $50,000 from my 401k to start the business and just sleep the next day <laughs> and start eating like cup of noodles regularly, which is what I did, by the way, money was always on my mind because I didn't have it. And it's interesting how, as I started the business, started to make a little bit of money. I think that I just have come to this point where I realize like I can only output so much I can only make so much. I would rather have my money working for me. And that was the switch. Like instead of me working so hard for money, if I can have my money work for me, so like put it into investments, invest in real estate, invest in other businesses, properly put it into like savings instead of just like a basic checking account. I started to learn and talk to other people who had money and find out like, is there a trick or is this basic kind of know-how? And like, I'd like to know what some of those rules are and start to apply them. And that's what I've done. I don't stress about all my employees have always said, like they've, they've always said like, it's so strange. You don't really stress at all, Sonia. And it's like, at some point, like when COVID happened, I have an events business. So my, my business died 100%. I was never stressed. I was more focused on taking care of my employees, taking care of my like family, my mental well-being, making sure I didn't get sick. Um, and I think that that says a lot. You have there's a Zen attitude that I think you kind of have to have when it comes to money. You know what I think it is about you that the reason, like one of the things that I see you consistently do that a lot of people don't is you don't get stuck in your own head about what the next move is. A lot of people, I think they're thinking, oh, I have to really think about what I'm doing and then I'll act or I'll think about what I'm doing, then I'll change how I'm feeling and then I'll act. Whereas my observation of you is you act and then you feel better after you take that action. Do you, does that resonate? Yeah, it does. That's interesting. <laughs> you shoot from the hip, Sonia. I do. I I act and then I stress a little later. I make decisions very quickly. And I think that's an important thing that you have to do. As an entrepreneur. Yeah. Like or in life. In life. Make decisions. Don't don't waffle on it. Like the more you waffle, the more you confuse yourself with like the pros and cons of something, let's say, of making a decision. Make decisions quick and move on. Like also don't look back. There's a lot of people who look to the past a lot and regret or, or did maybe I didn't make the right decision. It doesn't matter because you made the decision that you made in that moment and you cannot go back. So the only thing to, to do is to move forward. I, there is definitely a Buddhist mentality that I have, which is that, you know, the only thing we can count on is change. So you continually have to move forward. Never, never go back to the past. I love that advice. Be decisive is what I'm hearing. Uh-huh. All right. You keep leaving me this breadcrumb and I'm going to take it. We, we got to talk about your, how do I phrase this? You take a lot of risk, in my opinion. You're a risk taker because when I met you, you were running three businesses. One that was insane overhead. It was a space in downtown Los Angeles. And you didn't own the building, which to me is like, okay, that's risk on top of risk because landlord is in control here. Yeah. <laughs> you were banking on things that I didn't understand how to monetize, but now I do like many years later, which is community. 
But there are a couple of things I've heard you talk about. The first one is cashing out your 401k to start your business, which I think I can logically make that leap because in a way you're definitely investing in yourself. But I think there's also a story about buying your first property that I also want to touch on where I think you may have done something very risky. So (laughs) first, why why don't you tell us these stories of of the risks you've taken? But really what I'm trying to get Mm -hmm. at is I want to understand how you think about risk and how entrepreneurs tech, like how entrepreneurs generally have a larger appetite for risk than most people and like why that matters. Yeah. Okay. So I'll go in the same order you mentioned. So I took a a long-term 10-year lease out on a building. And for those who don't know the commercial real estate world, which is probably 99% of the world, a long lease is rare because they want to only lease you a couple years so that they can raise the rent every few years. I somehow convinced the guy, the owner, to give me a 10-year lease. What people don't understand, but I know you understand, Paco, is that the overhead (laughs) for that um, was about $25,000 a month. So I was signing on to essentially spend hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. I never thought about it that way. However, I, (laughs) I was given, I was shown the number of what the you know, the down payment, the security in the first and last month rent would be. And I looked at that number and I had it in the bank, just barely, but I had it in the bank and I thought, fuck it, let's do it. I didn't think or worry about all those other months. Like if I had sat down and if someone had sat me down and said, Sonia, you realize that what this means is it's about half a million dollars a year, you know, that might have given me pause, but I don't think that way. I had a vision. I knew I had the money to at least get my foot in the door and I stepped forward. Maybe crazy, maybe not. The second business you talked about is Unique Markets, which is the one that I'm most known for. I started that in 2008 during the recession and I'd never done events. I came from a journalism background, (laughs) but I had this vision again for an event that would support small businesses and it would be a cool community-driven shopping event. And again, I knew the number that I needed. I needed $50,000 to rent the venue, leaving me a few thousand to like, you know, do some of the other things that I needed to do. I had that money. That was my entire 401k. And I guess it was the same thing where like, instead of thinking like, of what I could lose, I only think about what I can gain and what I can create in the world. So I guess maybe that's a little bit of a different way of thinking. So I did that, never looked back, obviously successful from day one, you know, 13 years later, here we are. And then even further back in my, in my mid twenties, I bought my first house in Toronto And part of how I did it, I know you know the story and it kills you. Um, I use credit cards, partly, (laughs) which is the number one rule. It's the number one thing not to do. But let me throw this out there. When you've never read a finance book, when you don't read the, the finance or the business section in newspapers in your 20s, you don't know that there are rules. Like I... I don't pay attention to rules. Like what are rules necessarily, right? There are guidelines maybe, but as an entrepreneur, as someone who's like an outsider, I have 100% never followed rules. So to me, it made sense. Okay, you need $25,000 down. I had 15, I think. And so I needed $10,000. And so I just used a bunch of different credit cards I took out the cash advances so that I could create that 10,000. And what I did was I found credit cards that had 0% for one year. And I told myself, can you like, can you pay off those credit cards in one year so that you never have to pay start 
pay interest. So uh, essentially it would be free money. And obviously my answer to that was yes. And so I did it. And it was great. <laughs> You're a different creature, Sonia. But obviously, I with all respect, I want to give sound financial advice here. So I do. Yes. So like, here is the advice, which is that like, A, I have an insane amount of confidence in myself. And I don't bullshit and I don't tell myself things just to, you know, so it was like when I asked myself, like, could I pay back $10,000 in 12 months, which essentially would mean I would have to, you know, essentially be taking $1,000 every single month for my paycheck to make sure that I could pay those credit cards back. I knew that the answer was yes. And I sacrificed for it. You know, my friends in their 20s were going out to karaoke and getting drunk and going to like nice restaurants finally instead of like just the pubs. And I only allowed myself to go out to eat with with friends and drink like once a week. And if we were going out to the bars, like I would drink drinks at home so I didn't have to buy drinks at the bar. Like I had to sacrifice in order to meet that expectation of like, paying those cards off, but I was willing to do that. And I look back and I guess like material things don't mean that much to me. So I, you know, I shopped vintage. I ate cup of noodles. Like I said, like there are ways to sacrifice, but looking back on it, what I had was a piece of property and my friends had nothing two, three, four years later. It paid off. Mm -hmm. The risk paid off. I think so. And then I sold it and made a ton of money. I just want to qualify this entire conversation by saying this is really risky behavior. And I think Sonia already put her like disclaimer that you have to know yourself and the economics have to work out in order to seize opportunities like this. So let's just we'll yes. leave it at that. Yeah. Well, and because I should say like, that is obviously when I was working for other people. So things could have taken a, a turn if, let's say, I had been let go. Right? Right. Like, right. suddenly I would have been like, not only do I have to pay my mortgage and I have living expenses, just basic of like eating and transportation, but like, I would also still have to be paying that $1,000 every month to pay off those credit cards. So I was confident and banking on the fact that I had a, a job and I made sure maybe there was a little extra pressure. Like I made sure to go above and beyond in that job to make sure that I had that job security. I appreciate you um, giving us the full picture there. <laughs> I have to ask, because we're talking about your wins here. What about risks you've taken that were failures? And I don't mean failures like, you know, do not pass go do not collect $200. But as an entrepreneur, I know when things don't work out as you envision them, we, we pivot, we change. But do you have any of those that are notable that, you know, you want to share with us today? Yeah, I'm, I've got a couple big ones. Well, the building. So the building was very successful, um, you know, until COVID hit. And essentially, when your business is an office building, and no one needs an office, <laughs> you have no business. <laughs> the side business that we did at the building was holding big events and weddings. Also, those were dead during COVID. So we had zero cash flow. So essentially, I had to walk away from that business. And at the end of the day, what that meant was I walked away from hundreds of thousands of dollars that I invested in decorating. Re I redid all the electric when I took the building over, there was one toilet for like three stories. I'll, I'll never understand that. But so we built bathrooms, put plumbing in. Like I invested all of this time and energy and money into something that I thought I would be keeping for like another 10 years. So when you look at it, it wouldn't have been that bad of a risk. So that was one. But a really, really big one is that I franchised the markets. I spent almost two years learning how to, working with franchise lawyers, working with a consultant, 
the world of franchising is very convoluted and every state has different rules in the US. So it takes a lot of time and effort and I had staff working on it. So I would say I invested $200,000 on this vision that I had, (laughs) $200,000, which is a lot of money. And we signed up one franchise. So great, sold one city. We were expecting to sell like five and then COVID hit. Again, something that was out of, you know, I couldn't control that at all, but you know, $200,000 essentially went down the drain and that's okay. I don't, I actually don't really think about it ever. Again, sounds crazy. You're amazing. Sounds crazy. (laughs) Um, I don't, here's the thing, (laughs) like when people say like they're scared of risk, like often they're talking about things that are pretty small and I I'm talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so the the piece of advice and hopefully inspiration that gives people is like the the small things, like I think there was a book in the 90s or something that was like, don't sweat the small stuff. But the, that actually is a great piece of advice. Like the more you let smaller decisions get you down, the less you're able to do. And I think very, very big And so I just don't let, again, kind of like traditional wisdom, (laughs) traditional finance advice. I guess my question sometimes also would be like, well, who wrote the books on all of that? Because for many, many decades and hundreds of years, it's been white men. So like, hold on, let me think about this for a second. Like, am I going to let a bunch of people who may be giving sound advice, but have very different backgrounds and if they fall the the ground is much softer for them potentially so for me i just have never wanted to really take i guess that advice because i'm i'm curious about like well who's it coming from where is it coming from a traditional system based on capitalism like there's so there's so much more involved here paco <laughs> but really i just want to create things that I'm proud of that move the needle forward for me. I have shifted my thinking in the recent years, realizing that I don't have a pension. Most create, well, all creatives pretty much will never have a pension. And so I have started to realize like I output all this stuff and I, I create all these things for the community, but in my later years, that's not really going to help. Like the, the great, feel good moments that I've created won't actually help me if I need to go to the hospital. So I have switched my thinking a little bit and started to pay a little bit more attention. I'm still going to take just as big risks, but I think I'm going to be a little tighter with the purse strings when like, when thinking about those risks. You just dropped so many nuggets of wisdom. And I just want to say thank you for that. I appreciate it. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be to be. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. 
With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. And now, time for a financial public service announcement. Mom, I just saw the cutest outfit that Kelly from the TV show American High School Kids was wearing. Can I please get this outfit? I looked it up and it cost $50. Well, you know your mom and I just got you a new outfit. That was all we budgeted for this month. So we'll have to wait until next month. What? Mom, but I need this outfit. Can't you just put it on the credit card? Carly, that's an example of exactly how you should not use a credit card. Credit cards can be a great tool for grown-ups to use, but using them to buy non-essential things that you cannot afford is a recipe for financial disaster. You're borrowing money and you have to pay a very, very high fee as you pay it back. Wait, a credit card is borrowed money? And you have to pay it back? Oh, fuck that. I didn't know that's how credit cards worked. Now I know. And knowing is half the battle. Weird Finance. Weird Finance. Weird Finance. Weird Finance. The next question I was going to ask you, I think maybe you answered it, but if you want to say something else, here's the opportunity. So I'm sure you've heard of the term entrepreneur, right? It's somebody who wants to be an entrepreneur. And I'm sure there are tons of folks that follow you that are entrepreneurs. They're inspired by you. What's the number one tip you have for people that want to work for themselves, but they're scared? You have to just do it. Like there's no, like <laughs> you have to jump off the ledge to find out. So if you're someone who looks for like what to do before you're going to start a small business. There's a lot of content and there are a lot of books and there are a lot of experts out there positioned specifically for these people who are in like a a crisis moment in their lives. None of those things are going to help you. I will be perfectly honest. And I say this from a point of working with thousands. I've worked with over 15,000 small businesses at this point. So it's not like one or two stories. I have seen it all. The people who succeed and the people who do it, at some point they woke up and they decided and they had that moment, that aha moment. They quit their job. Whatever it was that they had to do to like jump off the ledge, they did. And the people who are never willing to do that because they're like, well, maybe I need, there's a, there's a number of dollars that I need in my bank account. I'm going to find that article that tells me what that dollar amount is, or I'm going to pressure test, or, you know, I'm going to ask my friends and family a thousand questions before I do it. Like, if you are one of those people who are in that mode, you literally have to, <laughs> like, I don't want to use bad words, but you literally have to do something or get off the pot like that. It's one or the other. That's it. <laughs> shit or get off the pot is what you're saying. Yes. You, yes, you literally do have to shit or get off the pot. Like sitting there and <laughs> thinking about it is never like get up and do it or be okay with the fact that maybe you are just like your comfort level 
is not that. Actually, I have a really good story. I hired, a, you know, in my 20s, I worked in corporate. And one of the friends that I hired, who's this amazing woman, she headed up content. So she wrote newsletters. She did editorial for Home and Garden TV, which is one of the TV stations that I ran. And I remember her telling me that, like, how much comfort it gave her every two weeks when her paycheck went into her bank account. And I remember not like, I didn't relate to that at all, but it helped me because I wanted her to do like other things, but she knew herself so well. And I respect that so much to this day. Like she knows she was meant to work a nine to five because there are other things that are important to her. Like, having a family and having hobbies and doing different things. And so she knew herself. She was never going to, she may have had some ideas and some dreams that she could have done, but she was like the comfort level that, uh, that comes to my life every two weeks when the paycheck is deposited. I know myself and I don't want to step away from that. And so like, yeah, there's two different types of people and you just have to know which one you are. Clearly you are a risk taker because all I'm hearing is take action, take risk. So I've been taking notes on our conversation on what I think your philosophies, your big ideas, your main themes are. And so far I have take action, take risk, be decisive, have a vision. Don't fake the funk, which also means be realistic. And there are no rules, only guidelines. And the last the last like value that I see you live out on a regular basis every day within all your companies is this aspect of community, right? Forbes recently named you the millionaire maker. When I met you, you were running unique camp, which I know I'm annoying you with this. I always tell you how much it changed my life because I met so many people. I saw so many different ways of living. It exploded my worldview and I'm not the same because of it. I, I honestly cannot say thank you enough. So here I am publicly saying thank you. All of your companies have this aspect of community that's inherent in the business model. And my question to you is, is this a conscious choice or is that just simply some value that's inherent to you that you just obviously prioritize? Yeah, I don't, I don't think as an entrepreneur or a business owner, that was a conscious choice, but throughout the decade of starting when, let's say, the words community weren't, you know, in 2008, I don't think people were really talking about community. Also, social media hadn't really truly arrived. I think the word community kind of catapulted into the universe when that happened. Um, But within what I create, and I, I do view myself as like in some weird way, like I say that I'm creative, which I am. Um... And it's that like what I create and like my art, which may sound a little odd, but it, you know, my art is that I like to gather human beings in person. Like I like to see what happens when there is an exchange of ideas or emotions or creativity um, and ideas. So it's like camp opening an office building (laughs) um, and doing the markets, which supports small businesses. All of this is stuff that I genuinely wanted to do. Did I know that I could make money from it? I'm not so sure. At the beginning, I don't know if I consciously, I just wanted to make my money back. So when like way back in the day, if we look at when I first started the markets and I used that $50,000, I had come from a corporate background. So I, I did understand the world of budgeting and employees and like carving up an amount of money and trying to figure out where it would go. Um, and so I did that. It's not, I didn't think that I would make money, but I was trying to not lose money purely in creating something that I wanted to see. We, you know, and the same thing with camp, Paco, which like, thank you. I lo- like, I wish I could do camp. It was just so emotionally draining, but like camp created so much like energy into the world, all over the world with people coming from all over. And, 
it's been so cool to watch everyone and see what they've done and the relationships that everyone has made. But camp was the same thing where I just, I loved summer camp and I just missed it. And I wanted adults to be able to experience that same thing. And so I just went out and created it. Again, did I think I was going to make a real business model from it? I'm not sure. But my my res- my goal is always to just make the money back that I spend. And I think so far that it's been pretty good because I've, you know, I haven't just made it back. I've then made some. I love it. Are you are you the older sister? I am. Okay, because you have such older sister energy. I love it. You're just like, take action, just do it. <laughs> there are there's there are pictures of me. There is one that's popping into my mind where my sister and I are on a hike. You know, there's like trees and and fall, beautiful fallen leaves on the ground, and my sister's walking, and I'm standing in the background like this with my hands on my hips, screaming at her. <laughs> Just terrible, but um, moment in time captured. <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate the big sister energy. You're like the you know big sister entrepreneur that uh, everybody needs. Everybody needs that little push, and we need to see the we need to see it to believe it. So before I let you go, Sonia, I just want to hit you with some rapid fire questions. Okay. Now my first question is: Is there anything that you've purchased recently, or I guess it doesn't have to be recently? Uh, but is there anything you purchased that feels like it was money well spent? Oh my god, Paco! <laughs> Did I stump you? <laughs> like any, literally anything? Yeah, can I'll give you my example. Yeah, like J- Jen and I spent like pro- around two thousand dollars on this mattress pad that. Wait, not it a has mattress, like two mattress pad. Exactly. That exactly right. A mattress pad that has tubes in it inside of it, and then a bigger tube connected to the tubes inside of it, and then at the end of that big tube is a little tank that you fill up with water, and you can control the temperature of the water, so you can make it cold and or or hot. You think I'm ridiculous, but it's because it impacts the quality of our sleep. Right, whether or not we wake up in the middle of the night because we're too hot. I mean, as a narcoleptic, yeah, you maybe don't relate to this, but it's been life changing, and it it's it sounds ridiculous when I explain to you the contraption and the amount of money we spent. So that's what I mean. Where like, is there something weird like that in your life that you spent money on that people look at you like you're a ridiculous person? But for you, it's money well spent. The sad thing is, I can't think of a single thing. I was laughing at the fact that like, I, I actually think that I would love that mattress pad. And it, it, I was laughing at the fact that like someone went out there and did it. Like someone (laughs) clearly has the same problem as everyone else. And they're like two different people. We need different temperatures. I may have to look into that. I would say no. Like the, the interesting thing is I don't, I'm like literally looking around my house. I did spend a tiny amount of money on a foot massager. You insert your feet. Yes. You insert your feet and these balls like massage your feet. It's amazing. But it, it wasn't that expensive. I don't know. Nope, this is exactly like what that. I'm asking for. Thank you. Yeah. I don't have anything like that in my life. I will say I, what I do want to buy is $10,000. I want to buy a sauna. Amen. I think that it would improve my life greatly, like being able to relax wet. It's very good for your body for circulation. I just, it, you know, I'm thinking about it. I can't wait until you invite me over and I see it. I know. This is my goal this year, 2023. It's going to (laughs) happen. The next question I have for you is what is one piece of advice financial or otherwise that you'd give to your younger self? I mean, I guess I kind of already took it myself when it comes to money, but I do think that it took me years of being miserable in my jobs, in my corporate jobs before I became an entrepreneur um, because I was just scared. Also, I didn't have any examples of anyone who had done it. So I wish that I could have gone back and said like, go ahead and jump off the ledge. Like, it'll be fine. But at that point in whenever that was, a couple decades ago, 
the examples just weren't around me, which is what excites me about Gen Z and Gen Alpha and everyone else that comes after is that like they do have examples of what is not so-called traditional. And I think that's so important, like seeing people doing weird things, like creating a mattress pad that is $2,000 that transports warm or cold water. Like that's a genius product. But 20 years ago, I don't know, you know, if someone would have had the balls to do it. So, uh, yeah, I would have just said, like, go ahead and jump off. Also, the younger you are, the more you should be. Yeah. Just jump off. I agree. Because when you're younger, you have the you have the appetite for risk, but you also have the runway in case shit hits the fan. Exactly. And, and energy. Energy, yeah. And you have way less obligations. It's like you and five roommates. Like, okay, worst thing that happens is like you eat your roommate's cornflakes for the next week, you know? Yeah. <laughs> next question. Did you have any financial superstitions growing up? No. That's a good question, but no. Nothing from the Chinese side at all. No, I know it. it's all. Yes, that it's weird because also my lucky numbers are not like the lucky Chinese numbers. Again, I, I don't okay. know, I guess. Convention, it's not for me. Love it. OK, exactly. That's right. Well, you were like no rules only guidelines, maybe, but you will go f- as far back as Buddhism and listen to those rules this is what I've heard in this conversation, yes. Yes. which I appreciate. So, yeah. Classics only. (laughs) Okay, last rapid fire question. I guess we are kind of already covered this, but maybe you have something smaller you want to share. And if you don't, that's totally fine. But are there any financial fumbles that you can look back on and laugh at? Like for me, I put a semester of college tuition on a credit card and that to me is hilarious and risky and shouldn't have done that. You did that? I think shocked. I did. (laughs) I did it. Not a down payment, but tuition. (laughs) No, I mean, yeah, we talked about them because I, I mean, I'm very, I am a huge risk taker, but Lauren, who's my events director now, she also knows how in some ways I am actually conservative. Like I will do, I will do large plays and I will do things that cost a large chunk of money, but she also knows me where I am also very aware of every penny that we're spending. So that's something we didn't talk about. So maybe I'll just throw this out there. You know, yes, if I start a market in a new city, I know that I I need to invest like $75,000 to get the furniture made, like the things that we need to create to bring a market of our quality to that city. So boom, $75,000, I don't think about fine. But then I will go with a red pen (laughs) to the line items of like, okay, well, how much, for instance, like if we're buying lunch for all of the staff, like, do we really need to spend like $50 a head or can we spend 40, you know? So there are times when I do pay attention to, to what we're spending and the budgets and the line items. So I should say that even though it has nothing to do with the question that you just asked. I do think I am a risk taker, but I'm also aware and I'm not just in dreamland all the time. I do have to come down to reality and look at how I'm spending my money. Are there subscriptions that make sense that are like taking money from, you know, like I do pay attention to the numbers. I'm not just spending all the time. I hope you didn't feel attacked on this during this interview so much. (laughs) No, but, but you know, the reason also, the reason I say that also is because like, I never, people don't ever really talk about the day to day, like, cause we can have a, cause people are more interested in like large overarching themes and they're more interested in listening to something and being inspired than hearing a piece of true advice or like seeing how someone actually runs their business. And so I always think that's interesting because it's like, I love podcasts. I listen to them all. I can't wait for your podcast to launch. Like I'm a huge listener. While I'm working, I'm listening to books or podcasts all day long. And most of them are around inspiration, which is great. Yeah. But few are around like, how do you actually balance the books? Or (laughs) 
which, you know, I didn't know. And like, how do you actually register a business and pay your taxes, which is something that I didn't do for the first three years of the business and paid a pretty penny for that, you know, that um, I will say indecision. Instead of making the decision to like pay my taxes, I was so intimidated by it at the beginning that I just kept putting it off. And then three years later, they're like, okay, here's what you owe us. And it's a huge chunk of money. Well, okay. So you did end up getting around to a financial fumble. So I want to address that. Good job. It was a walk through the flowers, but we got there. We got there. And secondly, secondly, I I don't, I think people don't talk about the day-to-day stuff because it's not sexy. It's It's really boring. Yeah. It's really boring. And you know, from all of, (laughs) from writing your book, you know that like people want to be sold the dream, but they don't want to know the work that it takes to get there. Yeah. Amen. I think this is a, that's a perfect piece of advice and truth nugget to end on. So Sonia, I want to thank you for coming on Weird Finance and sharing your experience, your very personal stories your overarching themes of how you want to live your life and kind of that kick in the butt that I think a lot of us need. So for the folks that uh, want to be a risk taker, just like yourself, where can they find and follow you? So I'm on Instagram, of course, at Sonia Rasula. My business is at Unique Markets. And then I we did just launch a digital community, which is something that is so close to my heart because as you know, Paco, like education, community is super important as is education to me, which makes sense with two academic parents. So we created a digital community and we're there every month, every week, giving advice, talking to amazing experts like you, Grant, um, who you know, obviously through camp, my lawyer is actually gonna do a talk about all the legalities of owning a business soon. So. It's just, I realized that like, I get all these questions on DM and through the podcast. And I thought, I wonder if I can create one place, which is much easier for me time-wise, it's much more efficient, a place that we can not just inspire, but truly give people, like bring the education and the access to other entrepreneurs to people. So that's what we've done. It's called the Unique Assembly. And I think you... Probably I sent the link to you. I don't know. (laughs) We'll make sure to include it in the show notes. (laughs) It's, you know what? I'm going to throw this out there, Paco, because also it something that everyone, not just entrepreneurs, every single human being after working with so many tens of thousands now, the thing that makes me really sad is I can say this with pure confidence. People do not spend money on themselves. And it makes me really sad. Like whether it's going to a conference, whether it's going to like a yoga retreat, something that could like really help them relax. Like human beings do not want to spend money on themselves. They'll spend it on everyone else, taking care of other people, never on themselves. So even though the the digital community is $45 a month, which to me is like, you know, if you can sell one more product a month because of being part of a community that can help you, you've you've done it. But whether that price tag was $10, $45 or $100, people just naturally don't like spend money on themselves. And it's something that makes me really sad because it says like it has something to do with confidence, too, I believe. Have you heard of a doorknob moment? No. Okay, doorknob moment is like when you spend like an hour with your friend or an entire therapy session and you're saying all this stuff. And then as you put your hand on the doorknob to leave the session or leave hanging out with your friend, you just like throw a grenade out there. Like, by the way, I'm getting a divorce. <laughs> like this was a doorknob moment. I feel like where you're... <laughs> you're no, no, not that. But in the way that you're like, yes. by the way people's sense of self-worth is at an all-time low and it really bums me out. And I wish that we could, you know, I wish that let's just address that and say something. And so I think it's self-confidence as well, but I think for a lot of people, it's this idea of, of worthiness, right? That they, Mm -hmm. they don't feel like they're worth spending that $45 a month or that whatever it costs to get that massage or Mm -hmm. whatever it is to take that other online course. People, I think if they really, really, 
truly believe that they were worth it, they would spend it. Do you, do you agree? I agree completely. And it breaks my heart because as you know, I mean, I work with the volume of people that I work with is so high and it's less than 5% who I see taking a chance on like themselves. It's crazy. It's so sad. So let's turn it around on a positive note and say that the world is a crazy place and there's a lot of things outside of your control, but in every moment you can find your agency and with every action that you take, you prove to yourself that your vision can come true and you prove to yourself that you're worth investing in. Boom. Boom. That was beautiful, Paco. That truly, that was amazing. <laughs> well, you inspired it. So thank you so much, Sonia, for inspiring us with words and stories and really being the person that we can look up to who's taking action, who's starting businesses, who's making money, and who's not afraid to talk about it. I look forward to many years of friendship and uh, all the ways that you'll continue to change my life. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Hey, Frosty, how's it going? Annyeonghaseyo, Paco. Where are we today, Frost? Well, we are in beautiful Seoul, South Korea, in a local e-mart, a grocery store, if you will, at uh, the world-famous Gangnam. Now, this locale will actually be the place where you would have the opportunity to purchase what are currently the most expensive bananas in the world right now. That's about $3.84 US a kilogram. 10% from a month ago. And just to give you a little frame of reference, the U.S. is currently at about 94 cents a kilogram. I'm pretty sure my local Whole Foods is definitely charging Korean prices for bananas right now. <laughs> well, if you feel like you're getting ripped off at the Erewhon, you could always take a quick trip over to Tanzania for the cheapest bananas in the world at about 13 cents a kilogram. But grocery prices are on the rise around the globe and it's not just the produce. Over the last 12 months, grocery prices have soared over 13%, the largest annual increase since 1979, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Eggs are up almost 40%, flour is up over 22%, and as inflation has eased back ever so slightly, grocery prices have continued to rise. Now, there's a lot of factors at play here, Paco. I mean, the war from Russia and Ukraine definitely messed things up for a lot of people. I mean, Russia and Ukraine alone account for nearly a third of global wheat and barley and two-thirds of the world's export of sunflower oil. Ukraine is the number four corn exporter in the world, and the region is responsible for at least 28% of the world's fertilizer exports. Now, if you're not knee-deep in the fertilizer section of your local emporium, let me just give you a little bit of sense of what that means. Fertilizer last year was about $270 a ton. Now it's over $1,400. And that's not the only thing. I mean, the pandemic, which you may remember, that, that little thing, has affected global shipping systems around the world. And people and countries have begun stockpiling food reserves, just driving things up in the same way that we're trying to avoid. I definitely love the lines that you're drawing here because... What I'm hearing is war definitely has a huge impact on inflation throughout the world. But I do think it's really important to note that if we line up 10 economists and we all ask them what's causing this inflation, chances are different economists are going to tell us different things. And it's important to realize that sometimes it's a whole bunch of things happening all at once, causing prices to go up or supplies to be shocked. And this is really what we're watching play out right now. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I'm not an economist, but I can tell you that my stuff is getting more expensive across the board here. I mean, the world is obsessed with supply chains and war and scarcity and, and the potential for the inflation that it's going to cause is, 
it's kind of its own self-fulfilling prophecy. It's driving up these prices we're just trying to get away from at the same time. And for all of you guys out there, I'm sure you've noticed it's all just leading to higher prices in your shopping cart. And when you, you're, you're standing there at the checkout feeling helpless, it's enough to drive you crazy. But my mind is going bananas. You see, since the mid-1800s, bananas have been a staple in the U.S., this delicious potassium-laden delicacy took our country by tropical storm. And by the 1860s, banana peels literally littered the streets. Aside from the fact that the rotting husks filled the city with that familiar scent we all know from anyone who's ever left a half-eaten Chiquita in a hot car, they were also becoming a public safety hazard. Now, thanks to a 2014 Ig Nobel Prize-winning discovery from a group of Japanese scientists, we now know that when you step on a banana peel, they release a curious gel made of polysaccharides and proteins that provides a wonderfully low friction state. And of course, those classically comical crashes are bound to happen. Now, the friction coefficient of this banana peel was measured to be about 0.066. That's slippier than lubricated metal. Uh, for comparison, the, the friction coefficient of ice is 0.05. It's literally so slippery to step on a banana peel that there's interest in using that material as a natural joint lubricant in surgery. Now, by the end of the 19th century, so many people were injuring themselves that the New York Times, Harper's Bazaar, they were all running stories on it. Vendors were being fined. Litterers were being arrested in the streets. Even the future President Roosevelt, then the New York Chief of Police, declared a war on banana peels. But what was really happening? people were creating their own problems, literally tossing their own death trap in front of themselves to become the bruised butt of a joke played on themselves. And what are we doing now but subjecting ourselves to that same dark humor? We are infinite beings capable of endless possibilities. We've created language and art and technology that creates its own language and its own art. But what are we doing with all that power? hoarding toilet paper to build two-ply towers of solitude. We're stockpiling steaks in freezers filled with frost-bitten food staples, forgotten and forever lost behind bags of frozen peas. But what would happen if we opened our pantries and ripped off the freshness seal on our hearts? Just like the global supply chain that fractured after the pandemic, which exacerbated the stockpiling situation, or the war in Ukraine that's impacting inflation, couldn't one small decision to act make way for a thousand more, eventually snowballing in inertia like a frictionless sidewalk paved in golden banana peels? What if you donated those extra beans to a food drive or cleared way in your fridge with some home-cooked meals, bought fresh local produce that's in season at your farmer's market? It might cost more now to think locally and act globally, but in the long run, prices could go down the troops in Ukraine had the rations they needed if we spent less money on frozen foods and supported local organizations. I'm, I'm not asking for a lot. I, I know we can't change the whole world with one packed pie, but what if you've broken that tote bag you, you got last year and, and you started to, to post pictures of going to the farmer's market and, and rack up that social cred with a post about supporting a, a local farmer or a craftsperson or somebody who's doing something amazing in your town, wouldn't you feel better about yourself? Wouldn't you feel like you actually accomplished something? In Tanzania, where you may remember the price of bananas is the cheapest in the world right now, they're a top 10 global producer for that golden goodie, but 99% are used locally, where it's everything from a tasty treat to livestock feed. They're using it for serving platters, even roofing material. Maybe if we thought creatively about the problems at hand instead of cautiously and acted courageously instead of coveting what's in our cupboards, we could peel ourselves away from the path that we're on and make a change that could help us all. And hopefully, before we hit our best by date. This has been The Price Report, where we explore the cost of one thing to try to understand the interconnectedness of everything. Michael Frosty Snow is a vagabond reporter wandering the world in search of clues to life's greatest questions. Who am I? What is existence? And where do we go for cheap noodles? 
Weird Finance is an iHeartMedia production and could not be possible without the help of many wonderful, caring, and hardworking, talented folks like my producer, Ramsey Young. He produced, edited, did sound design, and he even sang a little bit on this episode. I also want to send out a special thanks to my guest, Sonia Rasula, for having such an honest and open conversation with me. Thank you to Michael Frosty Snow for his generous reporting on the Price Report, and to my new friends Annie and Samantha from the Stuff Mom Never Told You podcast. Thanks for lending your voices for our special PSA. Our theme song was written and performed by me and my dear, dear friends, Jenna Parker and Andrew Parker. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, you want to be a part of the show or you want to ask me a question about money, give me a call at 833-ASK-PACO. That's 833-275-7226. Or you can send me an email at weirdfinancepod at gmail.com. All right, that's it. We'll catch you here next week. And in the meantime, take care. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.